pray. Amen. So last week we kind of kicked off Colossians and looked at uh, kind of what where the book was and where it was headed and what's the gospel and what's the gospel. And and today uh, I want to talk about Jesus. Now that might go without saying you might be like, thanks, buddy. That was a real insight you gave there. And uh, but in truth, I I want to talk about what theologians would call Christology. What what who is this Jesus. We talk a lot about King Jesus here. We do all of this stuff for King Jesus. Every song we sing, every verse we read, every uh, ministry opportunity we take on is all done in the name of Jesus. One pastor I've heard say it this way, it's all about Jesus. In some way, shape, or form, Every part of your life, if you are a follower of Christ, is oriented around the center, which is Jesus. Just think about that. For centuries, for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years even, before Christ came and after Christ came, and before he comes again, billions of people have oriented their lives Around this man, Jesus Christ. Think about the undertaking of that. Just think about what it takes in your life to run your life, your itty bitty life. I mean, I know we, we talk about this a lot. If you were just jump on Google Maps, start zooming out in Google Earth, you find out real fast that you don't matter. Right? <laughs> you just, you're so insignificant, and yet, you're not. And that's amazing. But who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? If you're taking notes, I want, I want to give you eight things from the text. Eight things. I don't do lists a lot. So if you're a list person, this is your day. All right? Eight things that Jesus is. He is eight things, according to this text, that warrant you wrapping your entire life around him. These eight things... In this short text, warrant you being all about Jesus. But let's read it again. I know I read it once, but it's so good we need to read it again. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Bible says this. He, if you are a highlighter, a circler, and if you don't carry a fake Bible, and you carry a real Bible like I do. I'm kidding, sort of. Um... You should circle that word. You should circle he. Because he is God. That's an amazing statement. You see, there's a lot of impactful people that have walked to this earth. Some that have even garnered followers in the millions. But none of them were able to look their followers in the eye and say, I am God separates him that's why paul says this he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That text is better than your plans. Do you believe that today? That statement is better than your plans. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Eight things to kick us off that Jesus is. The first one there, if you're taking notes, he is the image of God. The image of God. Uh, The Greek word there basically sounds like the English word we have, icon. So, well, you know, we're, our computers are different now. We have apps. But every app on your phone, right, has a what? An icon. And when you click on it, what happens? Come on, you guys are smart. It opens. And what do you see when it opens? All that that app can be. Right? I mean, we act like they change our life, don't we? I mean, have you ever, have you ever, have you ever left your phone at home? Oh, not a good day. Not a good day, Right? I mean, sad commentary, but right. Um, have you ever left your phone just like over on a table and you're walking around and you're like, oh, my phone's ringing because you felt it vibrating in your pocket and then you find out it's over on the table and it never rang? Listen, don't leave me hanging. I know you do that. I'm not the only, I'm not the only person addicted to my phone, all right? All right, I'm confessing my sins before you. You're supposed to bear your brother up in the Lord, all right? I might have abused that verse a little bit. Or maybe it just is a sin and I should be confessing it to you. Camden's not here. My wife's traveling this weekend, so she's not here to confirm or deny that I have a problem. But we click on that icon and it takes us into that app. We, we, we are brought into whatever that app is supposed to do. The, Paul is saying, if you want to know, see, touch, feel God, you have to look no further than Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Now, that that might seem obvious to you, and it should be obvious to you, but for centuries, people have wanted to believe that Jesus was a good man without ever believing or submitting to the fact that he's the God-man. Because there's a difference. If Jesus is just a good man that I can glean from, he doesn't have to control my life. I can still do what I want to do. But if Jesus is the God-man, then that changes everything, doesn't it? Because then he can tell me what to do. It's kind of like if my my five-year-old, I mean, if you don't have kids, I'm sorry, I always use my kids as illustrations because they're just full of life and examples of how to not live your life. And (laughs) so I love my children. I hope you know that. And uh, so sometimes, you know, I'm a single dad this weekend. Give Give me some slack. 
But, uh, you know, it'd be like if my five-year-old or my seven-year-old, my one-year-old, she can do whatever she wants until she's, you know, older because she's so fun, so cute. And uh, Camden will discipline her for the rest of her life because I'm like, oh. And uh, anybody with a little girl, you know. <laughs> and um, but it'd be like my five-year-old coming at me and be like, well, Dad, you're – you're a nice guy and all, and I really appreciate the things you do for me, but I'm just going to kind of do my own thing for the next few years. What would I say to my five-year-old? Go to your room. I'll be there in a minute. Right? Like, <laughs> we're going to straighten this out right now. And But we, we sort of treat God that way, don't we? Because there, there are scriptures that we read, and you and I know, know that there's changes we need to make. And we don't make them. Why is that? Because we don't trust fully in God. But what I'm saying to you today is, is this text says that we have, we have this icon. We have this God-man, Jesus, who came and lived the life you couldn't live so that in him you could be made right. And therefore... You can serve others expecting nothing in return. You can lay your life down knowing that because of Christ you'll find it. These are the things that Jesus, you're like, that's right. I'm a firstborn. It's because you're prideful. Jesus wasn't prideful. I'm not a firstborn, by the way. So that's why I was offended by that. I saw my sister and all of you. Yeah, that's right. Right? 15 years of abuse at home. And I'm still working through. I'm kidding. She's awesome. She's a godly lady. But she wasn't in middle school. You can just ask me and my dog. All right? The firstborn. Why do you all laugh about that? Because we know there's something about being the firstborn. There's something strong that, that God uh, set in motion. There, there is an order to the way God created things. Even in the Old Testament, we see with Jacob and Esau that there was a firstborn and the younger felt the need to steal from the older. And so, so we see these things, Cain and Abel. We, we, see, we see all these things in Scripture that there, there's an order to which God has done things. And when you look at that, in those stories, you see Christ. Because were those other firstborns fell short, we have a firstborn that was perfect. Where your older sibling fell short, you have an older brother in Jesus Christ that did not. There, there's a model somewhere. Somebody, some artist somewhere, an engineer somewhere, was sitting with clay and, and, and molding and shaping who, they, what, who and what they wanted that vehicle to be. And then we see... Uh, the prototypes go to these conventions and things, and, and we see what could be. Jesus was the firstborn. He was the prototype. Uh, here, here's the other thing about a prototype is that he is the only one like it. There's only one prototype. There's only one first. The cars that come after are a model of the first you and I are made in the image of God, the Bible tells us. We are coming after the prototype, the first, the best. There's none like him. And he's the one in whom which we find our place. 
See, that's the difference between Jesus as the firstborn and your sibling or you as the firstborn. Is that oftentimes you're not worth emulating. (laughs) But Jesus is. You can orient your life around Jesus because he is the firstborn. The firstborn of all creation. The prototype. The perfect one. The perfect Jesus Christ. It goes on there. It it begins to... Begins to broaden here, and it says that he is, number three, the creator. He is the creator. Jesus, the firstborn, has always been, is, and always will be. Uh, he, he has spanned the test of time. He was there at the creation of the world. See, there's two categories in life, right? There's the creator, and there's the creation you are the creation. He is the creator. You know, in, in a day and age that we live in where, where so many things in this Bible are so countercultural and quite frankly it would just be easier if we could do things a different way. So much of the Bible is what God's plan was and it's not what man's plan is. But when the creator tells the creation the best way to go about things, we submit to the Creator because we're just the creation. Can you imagine if some of the things that we have created in life began to tell us what to do? Like your children. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to pick on them again. But think about it. It makes no sense in life for the created to tell the Creator what to do. The Creator has the say. Jesus is the creator. And I love this. It says, he is before all things. He is before all things. And then the next one follows right on its heels. He's the holder of all things. The Bible says that he is, in verse 17, before all things and in him all things hold together. There's great hope in that verse for you today. I don't know where you're at, you know, even in a crowd this size. There's stuff going on. I mean, we can look at our we can look at our politics. We can look at our the the church culture in America. We can look at uh, terrorism. We can look at all the things that are happening around the world, race relations in our country. And we can go on and on and on. We we could just make a laundry list of things that are that are wrong, that are broken. But what I want you to know today is that Jesus was before all those things. And in Jesus, everything holds together. So there's nothing outside of his ability to hold together. There's no political problem. I mean, I mean, you, you think about the fact that we are now in range of nuclear missiles. That probably should give you at least a small pause to say, Oh, wow. I mean, you just think about the magnitude of that. But you know what? In Jesus, all things hold together. And God's plan will never be thwarted. He's always in control. He's before all things, and he's the holder of all things. Nothing gets past him. Nothing slips through the cracks. He's God. So what, what does that mean for you and I? So he's the image of God. He's the firstborn. He's the creator. He's before all things. He's the holder of all things. 
And then it moves into this. I love this. It says, he is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. That's an amazing statement. There's a lot of a lot of avenues we could take that. But here's all I want to say to you today, and then I want to move on and encourage you. People ask me a lot, why start a church? Why not just join another one? And and here's why. Because we desire to be a church that Jesus is the head. It is really easy to get distracted and to go on tr- rabbit trails and to do all kinds of different things when, when the reality is that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, and he has declared what we are to do. We are to be disciples who make disciples. At Redeemer City Church, we do that in three ways. It's on the wall. It's all over the place. It's on the website. We love God. It starts there. We love God. We share good news and we serve the city. And we do that all to the glory of Christ. Why is that? One of, one of the things that I like to say, and if you've been here for any amount of time, you, you have heard me say that God shares his grace but not his glory. I believe that with all my heart. God shares his grace, but he does not share his glory. Now, you may see his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. So in that sense, he shares it. He shares it with you so that you might see it and glorify him when you see it. But listen to what Isaiah 42, 8 says. The Bible says this, I am the Lord. That is my name. I love that. I'm the Lord. That is my name. Listen to this. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. You have some idols in your life? God will smash those idols. If you're if you are a child of God, God loves you too much than to let you just follow after your idols. He's going to do something in your life to draw you back to himself because God doesn't share his glory, but he does share his grace. You're hearing this message right now because if you have an idol in your life, God's being gracious enough to you for me as your pastor to say, stop, stop, smash it and turn your eyes back to Jesus because he's the head of the church. I love that. I said when I read it earlier that this text is better than your plans. If Jesus is the head of the church and you are the church, then he's the head of you. He's the head of you. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that? Is that going to change some of the steps you take this week? I want you to feel that weight and then just wait. <laughs> Because here, here's what it says. I love this. It goes on there in verse 18 to say, He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. I put those on two different things, but those are the next two notes. He is the beginning, and he's the firstborn from the dead. You see, here's another great thing. So we, we've talked about him being before all things, but he's the beginning of things. There's a difference between being before something and being the beginning of something. You see, God has always been... But then he chose to create. 
And then the first man was Jesus, who was able to come and live a perfect life. He was the beginning of that perfection for you. That he came and lived. You know, think about the Christmas story. I just, I just love it, that he came as a baby. You couldn't come more vulnerable. You couldn't come more uh, helpless. And here's God, the beginning. And he lived a perfect life. And then he died. So that next thing, number eight, could be possible. He's the firstborn from the dead. So not only is he the firstborn, he's the firstborn from the dead. And that is where you get life. You see, see when, when we talk about what you are supposed to do, and in just a minute we're going to talk about continuing the faith, stable and steadfast, we're going to talk about that in a second. But when you consider all the things that, that we're supposed to do, you ought to start to feel a weight. You ought to start to feel, that's a tall order. You ought to start to feel, that's a little scary. And then I would just submit to you that if, that if your dreams for God are big enough for you to handle, then they're not big enough. He's God. He's the firstborn from the dead. So in Him you have been given life, and He's breathing life into you. The Holy Spirit, the pneuma, the Spirit is life and breath in you. It's God living through you. Don't sell that short. You have the power of God living in you. We can live that way. But before we move to that, I just put a statement there in your notes. So that what? So that. Why all of this information? Why all this information? And then the, the crooks of the whole argument, of the whole book of Colossians. The crooks of all of your life. Everything that you do and are. Here's, here, here's, here's what all of that culminates in. In everything, he might be preeminent. In everything. That, you know, can I say it to you another way? That in everything, he might be king. That there would be no confusion about who is king. So I'll say to you again, this text is better than your plans. And here's where I want to land the plane with you today. Why is that good news? We put that statement on the wall back there, share good news. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 that he came to bring good news, that he came to set people free. He told his followers that his burden was light. So why does it not feel light sometimes? Why is this good news? Why bow the knee to King Jesus? Let me, let me just show you how this text moves into the next part there. Because he is the fullness of God. The Bible says that it was in Jesus that it pleased God to put all of his fullness. Listen, just think about this. If Jesus is God, and he's your big brother, and he, we're all tracking. Listen, listen to how God, with the fullness of God, that's a statement. God. Think about how he chose to use his power. He chose to use his power to reconcile all things to himself. 
And to do so, he gave up his life and made peace by the blood of his cross. Although you were hostile and alienated and evil, do you have that perspective of yourself that you were evil? While you were still a sinner, dead in your sins, he reconciled you by taking on flesh to die so that you could be holy and blameless. That when God the Father looks down on you right now, if you are clothed in Christ, he sees Christ. He sees the perfection and goodness of Christ. Can I just be real far with you? You don't deserve that today. You don't deserve that. You and I know, like like you may not know, and I may not know, but you don't deserve that. But he gave that. Would you bow your knee to Christ today? Would you bow your knee to Christ? You say, I've been a Christian for a long time. Would you bow your knee to Christ today? We never outgrow our need for the gospel. And honestly, that's my job right now as your pastor to do what this text calls you to do. See, because what some of you are tempted to do is go to that next verse in verse 23. And it says that Jesus in 22 is presenting us holy and blameless, but then But then we want to go to that next verse 23 and say, see, there's something for me to do. There's a part that I play. There's a role that I play. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. So you're tempted to think, okay, there it is. That's me. That's me. I'm going to get my game face on. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this happen. And you've just missed the whole text. But it's what we do. We can't help it, especially with this crowd of, of doers, I know. We're tempted, but don't miss the point. I implore you in verse 23, listen to the whole thing. It says, if you, in, if you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, great, but how do you do that? I said it last week, I'm going to say it this week, I'm going to say it for the rest of the weeks, okay? I'm going to say all the weeks, all right? And you still need to come next week, and you need to bring somebody with you so they can hear me say it all the weeks, Okay? Listen to the text. Not shifting from what? The hope of the gospel. Your hope to continue steadfast in the faith is to realize that you can't continue way better of obedience than the one that you'll live without it. It's all about Jesus. Who is this king? Who is he? He's the image of God. He's the firstborn, the creator. He's before all things. He's the holder of all things. He's the head of the church, the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he might be king. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, you are so good. We don't deserve the things that you have given. You have been gracious and good. We have truly tasted and seen this morning that you are good. So, Father, as we take this moment to sing to you and then to worship with our giving, I pray that you would help us to destroy those idols in our hearts and bow our knee to you. Because, Jesus, you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we trust you. We declare in your name the victory that you've already secured.
So Holy Spirit, I pray that you give us the power that you promised to be your witness this week. And as we're being your witness, that you would help us destroy those strongholds, that we would lay aside every weight that so easily traps us. So that we might, in all things that we do, bring glory to you. So Father, I pray for anyone in this room that is struggling today, that you would help them, that you, Holy Spirit, would lift their eyes to Jesus. That they would know that wherever they are, whatever's going on, that because Jesus is the holder of all things, there's hope. There's hope. Pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know you, that today would be the day that they would fix their eyes on Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you draw them to yourself? We love you. And I pray that you be honored with our worship. So we